Hello and welcome back to Identity Architects, the podcast that spotlights individuals changing the way that data is used to deliver more engaging data-driven experiences. I'm your host Ben Cicchetti and for this episode our sales director Moda sat down with Lincoln Gunn, VP Programmatic Revenue, Operations and Data Partnerships at Fandom to discuss data privacy, consumer trust, data collaboration and much much more. Before I hand it over to Moda and Lincoln, just a reminder to hit that subscribe button so you know when the next episode of Identity Architects lands. But without any further delay, here's Moda and Lincoln. Hello and welcome to another episode of Identity Architects. Um, Looking forward to speaking to Lincoln today. Um, Good to have you on the show. Lincoln. I already know you, we've been engaged for quite a while now, um, loving our partnership, but just for everyone else that's going to be tuning in, um, it'd be great to give a quick intro of who Lincoln is, um, a little bit around fandom and um, your role and responsibility within the organization. Totally. Uh, Yeah, so my name is Lincoln Gunn. I am the VP of Programmatic Revenue operations and data partnerships here at fandom uh i've been at fandom for north of 10 years actually and have kind of really um overseen the build out of our entire kind of programmatic and first party data infrastructure um you know my existing role is is you know kind of threefold it's one overseeing all of our programmatic revenue um you know indirect sources of revenue ad tech related to such um, two, it's overseeing an operations team that, you know, services direct sales as well as programmatic direct campaigns. And then three, it's overseeing our uh, data commercialization uh, strategy, um, which includes kind of the building out of our first party audiences, which we call FanDNA Activate. But then it's also working with strategic partners like InfoSum to activate um, unique data opportunities to service our clients. Um, you know, Fandom is a digital publisher. You know, we've been around for close to 15 years now. Formerly, it was called Wikia, um, you know, but we, we rebranded, I believe, about five, six years ago now to Fandom. You know, we are a property that does close to about 200 million um, unique visitors a month globally, um, north of, you know, billions of billions upon page views. The content that we focus on uh, or our users focus on is, you know, in the entertainment and gaming space, Um, you know, and so we've got a number close to about 200,000 communities focused on entertainment and gaming IP. And then we also have um, through a recent acquisition, a number of editorial sites, GameSpot, Metacritic, uh, tvguide.com that also are editorial voices within the entertainment and gaming world. Um, so we're really kind of a 360, you know, publisher focused on entertainment and gaming. And as um, a fan of fandom myself, um, I am a regular user of it. So especially when it's consuming the gaming content, I'm a massive FIFA fan. There you um, go. Yeah, We've got a FUDHead community as well. And that's our, that's our FUDHead um, for FIFA advocates like yourself. And there we, I, that's a new thing I've learned today. I never knew I would fall into such brackets. So this is there great. You go. 
<laughs> Thank you, Lincoln. Um, we are going to dive. I mean, there's a lot of interesting points you just raised right now in the introduction to fandom, which is fantastic. And we can speak a bit more about the other titles that have come under the the, the ownership of fandom. Um, but before we do, let's get to know you a little bit more. Uh, I'm sure our, our listeners in would want to know more about you as well. Um, going to start off with the easiest one, um, and you know, kind of just soften the intro into Lincoln. Um, earliest memory of advertising and marketing. Um, now you've had a bit of a journey at, at Fandom, but let's go back down to memory lane. And what was that first job? On the on the job side, you know, my before I was at Fandom, I worked for a small uh, mobile marketing company, and we were selling um, basically SMS text messages um, that were targeted to specific users. And so that was kind of my um, journey out of college. Um, it was a small startup that we raised the Series A for. And so it kind of got me introduced to the startup game, but then also kind of digital ad sales, digital marketing. Um, but even going back before that on the personal side, um, I'm a big sports fan, grew up going to sports games with my father. And I think that my first memory of just advertising in general was, you know, attending San Francisco 49ers games and seeing, you know, next to the billboard, um, you know, big Pepsi signs or big Chevron signs, which is a big gas company. And they used to be associated with the San Francisco 49ers. And so it was more from that lens versus kind of the digital lens. Um, you know, that that's kind of my first, first memory of, of advertising in general. Wow. Yeah. That's, uh, I remember those days walking inside stadiums um, or just, you know, just the, the, the motorsports industry as well. Just seeing all of those known brands, the logos that you're naturally you're used to seeing on a day to day basis on your favorite car or your favorite sports team shirt or in the stadium. Um, yeah, does set us way back. Eh? Totally. Um, um, I'd say knowing what you know now given your journey in digital advertising. What would you say to yourself when you first kickstarted your career? You know, I've, I've been on the business side for the last 11 years here, um, and it's been great. I've, I've learned a lot of sales, marketing, partnerships, business development. I think one of the um, things that I, I feel like would have been a good skill set to build out younger is kind of more the tech side, quite truthfully. Um, I, I do miss having some degree of kind of code understanding and code development and being able to, to basically, you know, speak the lingo a little bit more yeah. um, in conversations and to be more educated there. So if, if anything, it would have been to have more of kind of a technical background growing up and to have some, you know, base level of, of coding, um, just to be, you know, more intellectually, um, capable in tech and kind of, you know, engineering conversations than, than what I am today. No, I totally, I totally hear you there. Um, and you know, we, we've got to appreciate the wonderful work of our fellow peers across the industry who are super smart and geniuses who are doing this as a day-to-day -day role. Right. And just being, um, in a room with them, you can most appreciate like, wow, uh, this is some amazing work you're creating. Totally, totally. Yeah. And I mean, being on the business side, again, you're 
you're kind of sometimes blind to the day-to-day blocking and tackling of actually getting stuff done essentially. And, and, and so that's where um, I just wish I was a little bit more buttoned up as far as the technical aptitude goes um, for some of this stuff, especially as we kind of head into the privacy landscape and, you know, everything that's in, in front of us there, a lot of it's kind of, there's a lot of backend architecture stuff that, you know, folks are working on that I would just love to be a little bit more, again, intellectually capable of, of, of understanding at that level. But you are. I mean, when we started our partnership at InfoSun, you pretty much got the grasp of it straight away. Um, and the way you embrace the whole, you know, the solution within Fandon's properties itself. So it, it, it's, it's an interesting skill set to have. And I think, you know, I've once got told there's never a day where you stop learning. Totally. Especially totally. in industry. Like, um, and we're just fortunate we work with very knowledgeable and uh, industry pe- uh, people within our work and across the board with par- clients and partners. Totally. Um, I guess, you know, looking at your journey, um, and to where you are now, what would you say you love about what you're doing right now and in our current industry? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the cool thing about digital to me is, is that it is an evolving industry. You know, there's always something new. I think, you know, where I've prided myself is, is being adaptable to change and ambiguity. Um, you know, and I think in, in our industry in particular, um, while there's tailwinds, there's always headwinds as well that you have to navigate. Um, and so I think being, you know, it, being able to change and to pivot strategies on the fly based off of kind of macroeconomic trends or, you know, what's going on in the industry is key. Um, so just being adaptable and, and open-minded, um, you know, I look at having seen the lens of moving from like a a real-time bidding auction into a pre-bid world into an automated world we've seen kind of the the privacy landscape go from you know kind of the wild west now into gdpr now into ccpa ccpra and having to adapt into that you know seeing that the cookie now is deprecating at some point in time that's also another thing that we as an industry continue to have to adopt towards so I think just for me, it's it's the the unknowns are also some of the um, biggest opportunities, and I really like being able to try to you know solve those and being a part of the solution for that moving forward. So for me, that's what kind of is the the most interesting thing. It is, and it's it's still ever evolving, isn't it? Um, I always almost feel um, every day there is a new change. There's a new Changes to our regulations, they continue to change. There's new iterations of it. Um, you're always gonna almost continue reading. Um, totally. I almost feel like I'm we've graduated from university or college, um, but we're continue staying within that same environment, just in a different sector industry. Totally, yeah. I mean, you go to university to learn how to learn, in my <laughs> opinion, you know. Um, right. that's kind of one of my things that I took. It wasn't like, I I didn't study digital media. I didn't study, you know, pre-bid or programmatic revenue in in college at all, but I learned how to problem solve. I learned how to um, adapt to change and all that kind of stuff. And so those are all skills that I've been able to obviously kind of utilize in my day-to-day role here. Absolutely. And that nicely goes into my next um, question, which is, um, 
we, I mean, we talk this, we leave, eat, sleep and breathe it every day. Um, and now it's the, you know, it's the concept of identity um, and how we're using data, first party data, the concept of the privacy around it. Um, how should businesses strategize around collecting first party data and identity, etc.? What does it mean to them? Um, how do we take these individuals that we are sitting on and allow advertisers, marketers, um, sports organizations to, to uh, speak to them across multiple devices or platforms? We get it. But if you tomorrow, given you're such a, a sports fan, had to go to your local college football club and explain your role or, or explain the term identity, how would you do that? Well, from a digital lens, I would say, you know, you individual have multiple channels of consuming media, digital media, whether that be through a computer, whether that be through a telephone, whether that be through a tablet, et cetera. You know, when you're consuming media through one of those channels, you know, you essentially are creating kind of a digital footprint of yourself. Um, now, depending on, again, the, the nuance of, of how you're consuming that via a browser or via, you know, a digital book or something of that nature, you know, the companies that you're, you know, essentially consenting to, to, to read that material, they're able to collect data on you. Um, hopefully you, you have some fundamental understanding of what that is based off of just your consent pattern or your, your, your kind of behavior within their site. But that's kind of, you know, that's your digital identity as you consume, you know, uh, content online, you know, again, depending on what channel you're consuming that through, um, you're creating essentially a digital footprint of yourself online for either marketers or advertisers or platforms to be able to, um, leverage and make better experiences for you within that landscape moving forward. And so that's really kind of how I would, I would try to explain it in, in, in layman's terms. It's a great way of explaining it. Thank you. I try, I try to, I try to, you know, I got a two year old as well. So I'm working on that with her of just dubbing down things to simplicity as the ultimate sophistication, but still, still yeah. a work in progress there. I'm sure there is a market for one of those um, those type books where you could just like at bedtime reading, open it up, right. a few flaps, and it's in, it's visualizing identity of an individual and how it's been utilized. Totally, totally. Yeah. Um, well, there we go. It's something we can work on um, in the near future. Um, last couple of questions, and then we can kind of start further diving into fandom and, 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 you know, how you guys are moving forward. Um, and to end it, what keeps you awake at night? And, what, and it can't be your, your favorite uh, football team. No, no. Yeah, fair. Well, literally my two-year-old daughter keeps me awake. Um, yeah. But my, my wife actually says I'm a pretty good sleeper, so I'll, 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 I'll take her word for it. Um, no, I think for me, you know, again, I, I oversee a pretty large programmatic revenue source, um, you know, here at Fandom, and I've got a, you know, a pretty large target in front of me. And so um, what keeps me up at night is making sure that our, our website is up and running and that ads are serving to our users. 
Um, you know, the first thing I do generally in the morning is check my kind of initial numbers from prior day, just to make sure that things are pacing and looking okay. And so that's generally, if anything does keep me up at night, it's basically, you know, what do the numbers look like the next day so that I can make adjustments as necessary. Yep. And I totally, totally understand where you come from there. Uh, they're, they're similar things that keep me up and up at, um, at night. Um, if it ain't the kids themselves. Totally. Um, and finally, um, what's that one thing that gets you up in the morning? My one is my boys running into my bed at five o'clock in the morning. That naturally gets us up. Yeah. Um, I think, well, my dogs usually, I've got one dog that sleeps under my bed. So she, she's usually the one kind of getting, getting us up physically in the morning. But I think for me, it's really kind of my team. You know, I've, I've been able to hire a really good, um, some, some really strong direct reports. And so for me, that's also one of the things that has kept me at fandom as long as I have been, you know, is that the people that I work with, I'm really, you know, inspired by, but I like working with them day to day. I enjoy my conversations with them. Um, and so for me, it's, it's the element of, um, being able to be a part of a team and to be able to grow a team is, is a big thing for me that kind of gets me up in the morning and gets me motivated, you know, um, you know, specific examples also are the fact that I do have a team in, in Europe. And so I'm up at like 7am. And if it wasn't for someone that I would like to be working with at 7am, it would probably be a tough sell. But um, I like all the people that I've hired in, in the EU as well as in the East Coast that it motivates me to get up kind of every day to, to, you know, have meetings with them early. It's a great feeling, isn't it? And I think, you know, just being able to connect with, like you said, multiple team members, um, being around them, sharing. And, you, and we tend to, we, we spend the majority of our, our time in life with our fellow peers, right? Um, in our working environments. So it, it is nice to kind of, wake up, greet them, speak to them, see how their days are going, kind of kickstart your days together because you're all on the journey. To, you're all on this one journey. Totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, for, for us at Phantom, we're all working towards, you know, a common goal. So that helps. And I, I also like having, um, you know, at our company, we've done a good job of, um, you know, diversity. And I like having, you know, multiple, um, you know, different, you know, direct reports that are, you know, span the globe. You know, I've got one in Poland, I've got one in London, I've got one in New York, I've got one in San Francisco, and I've got one in Chicago. So I have a really kind of diverse set of direct reports, which I really um, enjoy day to day because it brings different perspectives. And this is why your diary is also hard to buckle down on. Right. <laughs> right. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Uh, um, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, given you've got such a diverse team, you've got members from all across all multiple regions across the globe, um, kind of goes into my next question, which is now, you know, a bit more relation to our industry and what the way fandom has been thinking over the last couple of years and forward thinking, um, third party cookies is pretty much, we can call it the doors are closing on them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, um, Google has announced that there's some form of extended deadline. Um, but what are your thoughts on the on the on the status quo here? You know, especially in the industry as as overall, because you know we speak, we have fellow peers in 
in some of our competitors. We have fellow peers just with other partners. Um, everyone's kind of watching what's happening. What's your kind of take on this? Yeah, well, I think again, this is this is one of the the challenges with our industry is is there there continue to be you know whether it be moving targets or just unknowns um, that we kind of have to manage towards, and so with Google kind of delaying you know quote unquote the inevitable here by another year, it kind of gives us another you know a, another year of breathing room, but it also allows us to kind of continue to double down and test new strategies here, and so. Um, to some degree, you know, it, it's good that we, we got another year with the extension, but I was also, you know, I'm also kind of under the mindset of like rip the bandaid off as soon as possible so that we could kind of move on. Um, and now if anything, this is kind of, you know, the, the delay is just creating more complexities around adoption for new things. You know, I don't think we've seen at least at fandom, we haven't seen a massive uptick in kind of like, you know, third party identifier revenue, you know, um, I think that we're still trying to, as an industry, figure out like what that alternative for cookies going to be, whether it be Google's, um, yeah. you know, solution, whether it be seller to find audiences, whether it be these third party identifiers with TTD 2.0, you know, ATS, et cetera. But it's still a very fragmented space that, you know, as a publisher, you're, needing to be selective on what you test because you only have as much opportunity cost as, as, as maybe your product and engine team is, is dedicated to it. So for us at Fandom, we've, we've basically taken a mindset of testing a lot of things, but being really kind of precise and prescriptive on what, you know, results look like and what success looks like so that we can, you know, move on in the event that we're not seeing that to something else. Um, I think one of the tools, obviously, that that we're, you know, continuing to double down on here is is you know the the kind of the the bunker slash um, you know first party matching strategy for us and our direct clients. I think that there's there's kind of two angles that I look at this through, being kind of the 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 moving of going off of cookies. Like one is is like how are we servicing our direct clients? the, you know, the Netflixes of the world, the Hulus of the world, the app Blizzard Activision, and like, what is their strategies around activating first party data and more of a closed ecosystem like ours and make sure that we're supporting those. And that's where, you know, a partnership like an InfoSum comes in. But then secondarily, there's the programmatic yeah. ecosystem that we're having to also build separate strategies too. So for us, it's really just continuing to be educated on kind of what the mark, what is out there for the marketplace, but then also making sure we're very um, prescriptive and very precise on what, you know, what, what strategies we're going to be testing and making sure that we've got kind of clear success metrics, um, you know, in place to be able to evaluate whether or not those are really, you know, providing the ROI that we, we feel necessary to move on. Yeah, it's, it's really useful piece of information that you're sharing here. Um, and, you know, for the publishers who are on this journey themselves, because everyone's at a different stage of this journey as well, right? Um, to your point, which was, uh, yeah, as fandom, you knew it was coming, um, even with the deadline. Um, being extended yes it does everyone a favor but you've also still paved the way of we're going to do it the fandom way and we're going to continue testing along the journey so 
you know, should there be a this, you know, the, it does transition off. You're already prepped for the foreseeable future. Um, and, and it kind of like it's a segue to the second question, which was, um, you know, first party data is integral to most strategies these days. We're hearing more and more of it. Um, and, you know, what, what would be the recommendations for other brands, for other advertisers and maybe, you know, fellow publisher friends that you, you, um, that you kind of work with or, or know in the in- industry? Yeah, I mean, obviously, first party data is, is is the key to a lot of this. I think, you know, some p- publishers are able to create, you know, more of a value exchange for being able to get that data from users. I think here at Fandom, we've had to get creative about that. We don't necessarily have, you know, a brand name like the New York Times or a subscription based business like, you know, some other traditional media outlets to be able to get that you know, that logged in subscriber PII data. So we've had to get a little bit more creative on kind of how we we go about kind of obtaining that data from users. Um, but I think making sure that you've got a strategy in place to be able to cap, capitalize on, whether it be, again, logged in users or non-logged in anonymous users, you've got the ability to, to, to be able to extract some data points out of, in particular, the latter um, whether that be through contextual signals, whether that be through behavioral signals on your site, whether that be through yeah. engagement, et cetera, that you could start extracting that data from them to be able to make more informed decisions on who your user base is. Um, you know, for us at Fandom, we've we've kind of doubled down on kind of two different approaches for, for data. You know, one is building out a really robust um, insights and research business on our users that we call fan DNA insights. And, and we're in market kind of selling that to our clients and partnering with them to be able to provide um, better insights into you know, our users and their consumption habits related to specific IP. So that's one business. And then the other is kind of fan DNA activate and fan DNA activate is what I kind of oversee, which is really activating our first party data whether it be logged in data, whether it be contextual data, whether it be data activated via a clean room or another strategic partnership and being able to activate that in our own walls to be able to drive performance for our clients and better outcomes depending on what the KPIs of their campaigns are. Um, so those are kind of the two different ways that we at Fandom have tried to kind of solve this. Um, you know, and it seems to have worked for us um, but it's by no means perfect. And we're continuing to kind of iterate on each of those different strategies, um, you know, going into the near future as well. Absolutely. And uh, that's key to all of this, isn't it, is testing and learning. Um, where you do see the success metrics is, well, how do you duplicate? Because then you also have different regional nuances, right? Because not every consumer is the same. And this is going back to the point of, um, you know, getting to know your customers when you are adopting registrations um, or or getting that getting the identifier off your off your consumer mm-hmm. um, you know what kind of strategies do you deploy because everyone acts differently got it yeah no i mean c- collecting first and obtaining first party data is not an easy task i think you know all publishers would obviously love to be sitting on a bunch of logged in you know user data but the reality is, is most of us probably aren't. <clears throat> and a lot of the users that are coming to our websites are consuming content without, you know, logging in. And so for us, 
you know, making sure again, that we're able to some way, shape or form through strategic partnerships, able to capitalize on um, the anonymous user in some way is, is really key for us. So being able to, whether or not that's through contextual signals or behavioral signals or engagement signals, we're still yeah. able to collect data points on anonymous users to make more informed decisions on how to segment and bucket them. Um, so that's one thing that we've um, really invested a lot of internal time and energy on knowing that the majority of our users are anonymous users consuming content on our site. Um, you know, the, the, the other one here is just continuing to, um, again, be open-minded to, to what's coming down for the industry pipes, you know, so, you know, examples include, you know, the, the, the Google flocks, um, you know, product tool set, we're, we're definitely, you know, very interested to see in how that kind of develops to, to help with our own first party data. We're very interested to see how seller defined audiences develops to see how that, um, tool or that service is able, we're able to leverage better touch points. Um, but it's really at the end of the day for us, kind of just trying to a be able to gather this data ourselves um, in some way, shape or form, um, and being able to leverage that through our internal, you know, fandom identity graph, but then be, you know, partnering with, you know, some of the, the industry initiatives that are out there. And, and leveraging those and trying to figure out how they integrate into our existing fandom identity graph at some way, shape or form at a later date. Yeah. Yeah. With everything you've just mentioned, it is a, it is a journey though, isn't it? And it's, it's, it seems like it's never ending because if I look at your role on one head, the thing that keeps you awake at night is those numbers and making sure they're pacing. But then in order to make sure those numbers do pace, you're also thinking about different strategies and how do you get closer to that number and how do you do, you know, how, how do you turn different strategies into incremental revenue streams across the business? That didn't work before. Um, so there's a lot to think about along the way. Um, and I guess the going back to the statement of testing and learning is something that's just going to continue happening because there's no right or wrong answer at the moment. It's, this strategy works or this strategy doesn't work and we can kind of nip it in the bud and carry on for the next. Yeah, totally. I mean, again, there's no, right now we're, we're kind of embarking on a, a chapter within digital that there isn't a playbook for, you know, in my opinion, it's, it's not, if, if there was a playbook, everyone would be running it, you know, but um, we don't, we don't know what the end kind of results are going to be. And so as yep. a result of that, we have to be very open-minded and nimble and, and be able to, you know, test things. Um, and so, um, for us, it's, you know, having our hands in as many cookie jars as possible with the ability to measure impact, um, and really define what, you know, the hypothesis is to make sure that we're pressure testing that, you know, daily, weekly, monthly, um, to ensure that, Hey, if this is working, you know, we're going to add more fuel to the fire there, more investment, more heads, more partnerships, et cetera. But if it's not, we can say, Hey, you know, this isn't working. It's not working because of X, Y, Z. So we could then pivot and then learn from that, you know, and that's kind of the mindset that to some degree we've, we've taken, you know, with, with the data space. Um, but, um, we, we do continue to see, you know, areas of, of, of opportunity um, for us, specifically kind of in the gaming, you know, space specifically where we, we feel like we've got a right to win in that territory and in servicing gaming publishers 
at scale based off of the data points that we collect, because we do think they're very unique to fandom. And so we're going to continue to kind of double down on that kind of strategy moving forward. Yeah. And, you know, all of these strategies that you're testing and learning, um, you know, the end goal is engaging with that consumer. And for the advertiser is getting to that consumer um, via fandom's properties because they want to speak to them and speak to them in a creative way. Um, because the end goal is to get them engaged with that, uh, you know, the, the, the marketeer's product or services. But, and you know, our, our entire industry is all around consumers, protecting them, engaging with them, making sure, you know, we've, we've, we have their trust on a day-to-day basis. Because essentially, if there were no consumers, there'd be no business needs um, especially if you know business needs on your properties or the clients, um, their own property and services. Um, and that kind of goes on to, you know, the way the industry is shifting. Um, privacy seems to be, you know, over overbalancing performances and the way we just generally used to do marketing. And obviously with third-party cookies going, there's new ways of now engaging with users across um, multiple properties. But... Do you still see foresee this challenges in the industry? And if so, what would they be if you had to name one? Yeah, I mean, I, I, the industry isn't perfect by any means, you know, but I, I do think we've made a lot of advancements, you know, to gain, you know, the trust of, of the consumer here over the last couple of years, um, you know, and so I think we're, we're moving in, in, in the right direction there. Um, you know, I think, uh, I, I don't really think we we have necessarily again a trust issue with the consumers. I think it's just more educating them on um, what data we are collecting, and I think with some of the new privacy you know elements that are going out here over the coming years, you know weeks, years, if you will, like that, uh, consumers are going to be more educated in this space. It's becoming more top of mind for folks just based off of the again the macro, the legislative trends that we're seeing within. The greater ecosystem, um, you know. So I think I think we're moving in the right direction on a lot of this stuff. I think where where the bigger challenges are just on kind of the pub side specifically around how how do we continue to grow, you know, revenue, um, you know, CPMs, you know, as well as you know, bring in and service our direct clients in in a more strategic way, you know once all this kind of happens, you know, and so we, we obviously are all in the business to, you know, a make sure that the consumers are getting what they want and that they feel like they're in a good privacy safe environment. And that's, you know, the environment that we're trying to provide at plant fandom as a platform, but then we're also, you know, we're running a business on the back end as well. So we need to balance those two things, you know, revenue as well as kind of the user experience and making sure that things are safe. And so, those are things that I think pubs are going to, that's going to be like the biggest challenge I think for pubs in the future is, is just how do you continue to balance trying to kind of grow revenue, um, you know, based off of some of the headwinds that we're going to be seeing, but then also remaining kind of true to the, 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 the data and the privacy protection, because at some, to some degree, those things are like kind of conflicting, you know? And so we're going to have to, as an industry, just figure out how to, you know, balance that um, teeter-totter, if you will, accordingly, you know, in the future. And as fandom, you know, when you're having internal discussions on day-to-day about strategies and obviously ensuring your consumers always put first, um, 
is that something fandom um, or just in general other businesses um, should be including, um, you know, ensuring regardless of the strategy we're deploying or the, the solutions we're testing, is our consumers being protected in the decision? Yeah, yeah I think now it has to be one of your fundamental um, linchpins, you know, for, for testing. I mean, again, we're, we're moving to a, in an environment where there's just going to be more privacy essentially moving forward. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't have that as part of your like kind of core, um, you know, fundamentals around testing new products or new ideas, I think that that that's just a miss, um, you know, so I, I do think that that's just a key variable that now needs to be heavily considered in all kind of tech and product development. Um, is how do you kind of continue to remain safe and private, you know, a safe and regulatory, you know, yeah. compliant um, environment moving forward. That's just that, that's just how the business is going to operate effectively. Yeah, it's a big part of every business. Um, it's a big part of, you know, us at Infosum in the way we partner with, you, you know, yourselves and ensuring your consumers are, you know, um, are in a trusted privacy environment when you're using some solutions, when you're engaging with your advertisers, you know, again, you're ensuring not just your consumers are, are in a privacy secure environment. You're also reassuring your clients that they're not risking any of their consumer base. Um, and it just been, it seems to be an ongoing conversation. Um, and what are, I guess, what are the, the kind of things that probably need to change still. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we as an industry are working on, um, and what would it, what, how would that kind of help redefine relationships with each other, uh, platforms, media owners, data partners, and, and advertisers, um, because we're all in this together, right? Um, solution providers are obviously giving the services to media owners and data partners, advertisers, but then yourselves, you're also kind of working through this journey of how can we deliver certain marketing objectives for our clients? Right. Right. Well, I think one of the things that's missing right now is just kind of a framework, you know, for especially the, the clean room, you know, yeah. initiative, you know, knowing that it is so new, there's not that, you know, level of specificity as far as nomenclatures go, as far as, you know, sharing data, et cetera. And so I think, you know, I, I'm hopeful that the IAB or someone comes out with kind of a more definitive kind of clean room framework so that everyone's kind of talking the same talk and that there's a, a general understanding as far as, hey, data being shared in these types of environments is quote unquote clean, but it's also privacy safe, you know, falls under regulatory um, means, et cetera. And so I think that that's one thing that I think as an industry, we, we kind of need to identify or like kind of align around is just a core framework for this type of a thing. Um, the other one is just kind of just, you know, what we're seeing on, on the buy side, especially is, is just like an understanding of like when folks share data in, in rooms, specifically like an info sum, like, is that deemed a clean kind of environment as is, or do we as the publisher also need to execute additional paperwork with the client in order for them to feel comfortable about sharing their data within a clean room environment? So again, this kind of goes back to um, a little bit of just creating more of an industry kind of benchmark, you know, an industry kind of precedent on like what this looks like. But for us, I think one of the, you know, the challenges in this space has just been that, you know, the clients kind of view their data 
one way we kind of view our data another way. And then you kind of have like a partner like yourself that could view it a whole nother way. So everyone's view on this is right now a little bit fragmented and that creates a lot of challenges around sharing data because some folks are going to be a little bit more, um, you know, easy to share data with one another versus some are going to be a lot more tighter around it. And so for us right now, knowing that there isn't that kind of core framework in place around data sharing, around kind of nomenclatures, et cetera, it makes it challenging to do kind of activations because there's this added element of, you know, basically we're not on the same page regarding definitions or we're not on the same page regarding what does actually sharing mean, et cetera. So I'm really hoping that that's something within the near future that we can, we can solve as an industry. I guess as, you know, as we continue evolving in the next year in this entire topic, uh, you know, there's more and more content now being delivered. You're seeing, we're seeing a lot more noise around different strategies and different ways um, how this has been engaged with. And it's to your point, it just needs to continue. I think ed- if I've taken anything, it's, it's education it needs to carry on, right? Totally, totally. Yeah, there, there's still a lot of, of room that needs to be done there um, on both the buy side, on, on both the tech side being, you know, the platform side being you guys, and then also on the pub side. And in, in, in terms of um, consumers, and this is not just focusing on, um, this is just the wider, all the solutions out there. Um, you know, brands, data owners who are collecting their own first party data, media owners like yourself collecting first party data. Um, how, how does one equip consumers with the right knowledge or guidance on how their data is being collected and what it's being used for, etc. Um, you know, are there tools out there in the industry that that services them in this way? Yeah, it's tough because again, the, you know, the internet is very fragmented, and, and publishers are going to have different approaches to this. You know, site by site, essentially, and so knowing that there's not necessarily like a especially in the US, you know, there's not that kind of that consent, you know, framework in place like you guys have in the EU with GDPR essentially. But I'm assuming that as time progresses, the US is going to probably adopt that more. And so, um, you know, my my guess is, is that, you know, Zoom zoom forward two, three years from now and and the US is probably more operating in kind of a GDPR fashion where there will be that kind of that that modular experience that you see across different sites that, you know, users essentially have to opt in to like what they um, are okay with companies tracking. And so I think that that um, you're starting to see it more in the U S on specific sites, Um, you know, depending on if you're on a retail site or like a travel site, you, you get that, that tracking kind of icon, but my gut tells me as time progresses, there's going to be more of that uniform type of experience across the internet, you know, moving forward, unless you're logged into a platform and you've already consented to that. Until that happens, I think it's going to be um, a little like a continued wild west a little bit. And, and, and publishers are going to do their best to inform their consumers on what data they're collecting based off of what their, you know, their legal and their privacy teams, you know, deems necessary. Um, you know, and so for us, um, you know, we obviously are, are COPA compliant and, and GDPR compliant and CCPA compliant. And we, you know, follow the laws that are, you know, 
um, necessary to, to basically make sure that we're compliant with those, those. And so, um, we, we keep that top of mind again, when we build out products and experiences. Um, but right now I think as an industry, like there isn't that kind of unified approach, at least into the U S kind of market. And it goes back to your earlier statement is that consumer experience, right? Cause fundamentally that's what it goes back to is if myself arriving on fandom and then going off to BBC Sport or other, you know, EA Sports, etc. If the experience is the same, then it's just a normal way of operating, right? Like everyone operates the same, that I'm not, um, it, it, it just feels uniform. It feels like, okay, I'm moving off one product to another, but I'm not, how come this page did a come up with a pop-up message telling me my data right. is in It's that sort of stuff that can become a bit confusing to the general consumer who might not be well-equipped or knowledgeable in this space. Totally, totally. And that that's kind of one of the things I think, again, as as we progress as an industry, I'm hoping that that kind of gets a little bit more ironed out. I mean, yeah. it even gets more confusing when you add in the likes of the Instagrams of the world and the TikToks of the world and et cetera, because those are, you know, they're, they're doing their own thing to some degree. But yeah, within the digital publishing space, um, your traditional kind of, you know, publishers that experience ranges site to site so it probably makes the consumer journey a little bit more challenging and a little bit more contorted as far as um what users expect you know um site to site is is just very different i guess that same education goes to our marketeers as well right um because as a consumer you could be across different brands but if your experience is different from one to another again you're almost you're in a position to challenge of why. Yeah. And I mean, some, some, some people might like that, you know, I mean, I, I think, you know, I like that as a user being able to go site to site, but um, again, knowing that the privacy or the, the rules and regulations are different site to site just makes it a little bit more challenging to operate in, especially being on kind of the, you know, the, the, the advertising side. Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, the, to round up, uh, our our evening and your morning. Um, where do you see our industry going? Um, probably say in the next five ten years. Yeah, no, I mean, I think again, I think that there's you know while there are some headwinds with privacy and in, in the regulations that are coming up, I think that there's a lot of tailwinds as well. Um, so uh, you know, I I do feel like the digital ecosystem is really continuing to be ripe for growth. I mean, I think for us at Fandom. Um, you know, we continue to be heavily invested in, you know, our core verticals being entertainment and gaming. And we don't feel like, you know, even with a global pandemic happening, like we feel like those verticals are ripe for growth. And so as a result to that, like we're going to continue to push content, you know, experiences within those ecosystems to drive more engagement. Um, you know, as far as the industry goes, like, yeah, I mean, we've got we've got a bit of a bumpy road here, you know, with cookies, but going away in a year. But I think that that also, you know, is an opportunity essentially for new ideas and new businesses to pop up. I mean, if you if you rewind maybe two years ago, the concept of a clean room like didn't exist, you know. And so, like, if you take a pause right now and try to think two years, three years out like what's the next thing 
we might not know essentially right now because it's it's so new. But I, I do think as a result of some of the changes that are going on on the privacy as well as the cookies going away and it's going to create new business opportunity for publishers, platforms, et cetera, that we'll have to you know test and embrace that hopefully then drive new opportunities for um, revenue growth, you know, for us all. Um, so I am very, you know, continue to be optimistic, but I also um, know that we've got a long road ahead, you know, especially over the next, you know, year to 18 months as this, you know, macroeconomic trend kind of, you know, sh shuffles itself out, but then also the, the deprecation of third-party cookies comes towards the end of next year. Absolutely. And, and I love the, the, you know, the statement you made, which was the, the, the new opportunities that could come on the back of this. And I guess data plays a massive role in all of this, right? Um, you know, when we're having our day-to-day -day conversations is, um, you know, there's, there's the endemic verticals that you would naturally focus on anyway, because that makes business sense. But the opportunity to go um, work with verticals outside of your non, you know, the non-endemic ones that's unique. That's new because, you know, once upon a time that may have not even been on the strategy board. Totally. Because you never had data to fuel that um, opportunity. Whereas now you can learn new things along the way and help. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think for us, like we've, we've always doubled down on, um, again, entertainment and gaming. That's, that's kind of our endemic space. But I think as you, as we collect more first party signals on our users, um, it opens us up to new vertical exploration, you know, um, and, and knowing that, you know, for example, HEMS, it's like if our goal is to collect more HEMS on a user, HEMS are a trans, you know, a, basically a, a uniform identifier across multiple brands, you know, so that allows us to start to go and work with the Mercedes's of the world Absolutely. or the Papa John's of the world that maybe we haven't been able to tap into because we have that shared identifier effectively that allows us to create kind of an opportunity for activation around versus, you know, us not necessarily having a, a contextual car segment. So we can't go and sell something to, you know, Mercedes. Now that we have kind of these first party signals available to us, it allows us to, you know, have more strategic conversations with clients and brands that maybe we haven't in the past. And um, I can definitely validate that one statement, which is speaking to Papa John's when you're at fandom, because I am a massive Papa John's or a Domino's eater when watching or consuming FIFA content or playing FIFA myself. <laughs> there you go. Sports fan, esports fan, and a pizza fan. Totally. 360, 360 experience, then. There you go. <laughs> it's been amazing having you on again. Cool. Thank you so much, Moda. I really appreciate it. This is this is great. I'm glad you guys are able to do this with with your clients. Um, you know, I'm I'm happy um, that I'm able to participate. Hopefully, it was of a value for you and your listeners. So, um, you know where to find me. Thank you, Lincoln. Thanks again to Lincoln for joining us for this episode. It was great to learn more about fandom and, of course, its approach to first-party data. All that leaves for me to do is to remind you to hit that subscribe button so you know when the next episode of Identity Architects lands. But until then, thanks for listening.